So today we remember our fallen heroes. How many kind of got choked up when you watched that? I know I'd, that's about the third time I'd seen it, and it's still, wow. I never served in the military. My dad did. My wife's dad did. But Thank you to all of you who served, who have lost loved ones. God bless you. Our prayers are with you, those who have lost loved ones. There are still soldiers that die today all over this globe representing the freedoms that we often take for granted. And they're continuing to fight to ensure that you and I are able to meet like we are here today, like we will be next Sunday. Thank the Lord for men and women who love this nation enough to fight for it. Would you bow your heads as we pray? Lord, we ask you to bless our heroes, their families, Lord, as, especially as they continue to represent our nation to this world. We ask today, Lord, that you would comfort them and just help them to see that what their family member did, what our, what our heroes did, Lord, was to ensure the freedoms that we enjoy here in the United States. And we ask that those who have lost loved ones, that you would just bring them comfort in this time as they remember, as we remember. As the final end of that video said, we will not forget. And Lord, that's our prayer today. Remind us of what they've done. And now I ask, Lord, that you would stir up our hearts today. As this preacher preaches your word, Lord, as we talk about uh, the covenants of God. I pray, Lord, that you would do the miraculous here today. And Lord, we lift up the name of Jesus in this church. We believe, Lord, that you are our King. You are Lord over this church, over Gaylord, Michigan, the United States, and the world, even the universe. To you be all the praise. Again, may this message be a success. May it touch home with many, we pray. In your precious name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. All right. So here we are. And again, uh, because this is kind of almost like the first Sunday back, actually last week was, but last week was a trial for me. Sort of, kind of, because I wasn't just preaching to the camera. I had a few people in here. And today I have a few more. So it's, it's just building up, and it makes it a, I think it makes it a little bit easier. Uh, but today, talking about prayer and talking about not forgetting, I want to talk about something that I don't bring up very often, and that is, does God remember his covenants? Does God remember his covenants? So I want to look at the covenants of God with you today, and, and then I'll let you determine that. So, most of the covenants are in the Old Testament, right? And that's a book that, that's the side of the Bible that we, a lot of Christians today kind of avoid. But we shouldn't. One of the things that I love about going back to school is that I'm learning the beauty of the Old Testament. 
and what God said and did in that part of the book. It's amazing. It is absolutely amazing when you see that Jesus, though it's not always by name, in fact, often it isn't, but it's an allusion to his coming. From the very beginning, Jesus was there. And when God began to establish these covenants with his people, they were symbolic of what was to come through Jesus, as you'll see here in just a minute. So over this next short time, uh, I hope to talk about the four different covenants. And first, let me ask this, though. What is a covenant? I'm not going to try to answer that for you. I actually have it up behind me. And this is according to the Anchor Yale Bible Dictionary. And it says, a covenant is an agreement enacted between two parties in which one or both make promises under oath to perform or refrain from certain actions stipulated in advance. Now that's pretty wordy for it's a contract. All right? With that definition in mind, does God remember his covenant? You all are saying, heck yeah. The answer to that question, though, as I already said, can be found in the Old Testament. I want to make, make this really clear, though. Most covenants are conditional. Say conditional. What that means is both parties have a part. All right? Uh, whether to honor it or not honor it. And that's true with these covenants that I'm going to talk about today. Another note is that there is usually bloodshed for these covenants. When God cuts a covenant, that's what it means. There's bloodshed. All right? So let's look at four Old Testament covenants that God established with his people. The first one was the Noahic covenant. All right? I've got that up behind me. And, and I like this little picture. Uh, I actually got this off unsplash.com. But this is the Ark of the Covenant. All right? This is what they drug around through the desert after God had given them the Ten Commandments. And it, it housed all the cool stuff. Aaron's rod uh, that budded uh, and uh, some manna, you know. I don't know what that was like because as we read Scripture, it says that manna only lasted a day. So I don't know what it looked like 100 years later. But anyway. The covenant with Noah was between he and God. But the benefits were for his family and those to come, all right? That covenant came, how many remember, after the Lord saw how wicked man had become, how sinful man was, he said, I can't, why did I create them? It was one of the few times you saw God say that. Why have I created them? And then he said, you know what, I can't take this anymore. I'm doing something about it. And he sent a worldwide flood. All right? Now, this is important to remember this because it's the only time there was a worldwide flood. I'll talk about that again in a minute. But God's plan was to destroy all life that walked on the land, including man. But he kept a remnant, didn't he? Through Noah. And he said, Noah, I want you to build a boat. 
a big boat, you could see this boat that was created or built uh, similar to the one in the Bible down at the uh, Creation Science Museum. It, it's, it's amazing. You can see that thing from miles away. It's so big. If you ever get a chance, go down and look at it, go through it, because you really do get a, a, a sense of, you know what? It's not as miraculous. I mean, it was miraculous, don't get me wrong. It's not as miraculous or impossible, maybe that's a better way, than some make it sound. God said, all right, I'm going to send all these critters to you. You just stay there, you build it, I'll send the animals, two of every kind, and then there were a few that he added a few more because they had to eat. All right? And, and my feeling is that when these critters came on the boat, and I'm kind of going on a rabbit trail, but um, God put them to sleep more or less, like they do in hibernation, right? Because it was almost half a year that they were on that thing before the waters receded where the boat came down on top of a mountain, and they were able, able to get off. So remember this, though, the, the animals in the sea weren't affected. They still could swim around, even though they probably got toasted if they went over a volcanic eruption or something underwater. But, uh, but they kept growing. So we still today see a lot of animals that we would consider prehistoric as a result. Anyway, I'm not trying to get off into creation science today. Just to say this, though, God was so frustrated with who he had created, man, that he put an end to that. that. And, and there were some other things that happened there that the Nephilim were involved, and they were a wicked people. And uh, Anyhow, I'm not going into all that. I don't have time today. So all that to say, what was the covenant? All right, when the boat came down on that mountain, God established this with Noah, and his family, he said, I will never flood the world again. Now, remember, this is not local flooding, as we see in Midland right now, okay? That's not, that was not part of God's plan. He didn't say there will never be a flood on the earth. He said, I will never allow another global flood that will wipe out all of the things I created. Now, how many could say that's good news? And, and he even left himself a reminder. You know, today we use our cell phones, and, and if we forget, it'll pop a reminder up. Hey, you've got a meeting with your wife in a half an hour. Don't forget it. Or date night or whatever that might be, all right? Well, with God, he had a different way to remind himself. He created the rainbow, and he said, whenever you see that rainbow, and he, he said this to Noah and his family and those to come, us, he said, whenever you see that rainbow, let it be a reminder to me that I will never flood the earth again. All right? So that was the first covenant that was cut. All right, second one is Brother Abraham, the Abrahamic covenant. All right? Now, this covenant was established between an individual and God. God said, Abraham, I'm going to do some amazing things. I want you to look up, and I want you to see all the stars in the sky, and I want you to realize that someday your ancestors are going to be multiplied like that. 
And Abraham's going, <laughs> why? Because he was 99 years old, and his lovely bride was 90. Now, listen, maybe things were different back then. Maybe they had better makeup. When you hit 90, come on. Things don't work like they used to from what I've seen, right? Especially the female parts. But apparently, God was able to do a miracle there. And he impregnated through Abraham, his, his wife Sarah, all right? And nine months later, they introduced to the world little Isaac, Hallelujah. God followed through with what he said he would do, this, this covenant. Now, this is the other side of this. God cut this covenant, and this was unusual because in the ancient Near East, this was a pretty common thing where if you had a covenant with somebody, because this wasn't just between God always. It could be between two other parties, a lord and his vassal, you know, a servant, uh, whatever, and they would take uh, a sacrifice, let's say a, a bull, cut the thing down the middle, and one of them, usually the lesser of the two, all right, if there's rank, usually the lesser of the two, in this case, it would be Abraham. They walk down the middle of this uh, carcass that's been cut into, the, this is where that blood covenant thing comes in, and what he's saying is, if I don't follow through with what I'm promising to do here, as I walk between these two carcasses, then let that happen to me. Now, the thing that's unusual here, and I, I really want you to get this because this is amazing. This is the kind of God we serve. God loves us. And in the Old Testament, we see from the very beginning that he did things that other gods would never do. Little g, of course. God is the only God. God was the one that walked down the middle of that, that sacrifice. Instead of having Abraham do it, he did it. And God was basically saying, let it be said that if I don't do what I'm telling Abraham I'm going to do, if he doesn't have all these kids through the generations that will outnumber the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore, let it be said that I bring a death curse upon myself. Now that's pretty powerful stuff when this is God saying this. But he did that for Abraham. Many believe that this was a shadow of what Jesus would come to do later. Because Jesus did the same thing, didn't he? In a, in a very similar way. And we'll get to that in just a, a few minutes. Why would God do that? Why, why would God take the place of the man? Because he wanted Abraham to know, I love you. And I want the best for you and your people. And he promised him that he would prosper him all the days that he had left. And I, I threw in the word propitiation because that's really what Jesus is going to do for us or did for us later 
But that word propitiation, and, and I put the definition up because I figured most people don't know it, but it is to appease or to regain favor from someone. In this case, God. Now, in chapter 17 of, of uh, Genesis, Abraham had to do his part. And men, this is the painful part. Today we do it when we're babies. But they had to circumcise themselves. That's how God said, I want you to cut covenant with me. <laughs> I want you. And, and they had flint knives. Now, I've never seen a flint knife. All right? I've seen some really good surgical knives, which thankfully that's what our surgeons use today. Right, men? I'm, I'm trying not to go there, without, but yet I'm going there. And I'm trying to paint a picture here of what Abraham and his men and future young males would have to go through that they would take these flint knives and they would cut the skin off the end of something very near and dear to a man. And we still do it today, but today it's more hygienical. But what this whole thing represented was when you're circumcised men, what that's saying is you and your family have been separated for me. God's saying this. You have been marked. You're mine. And, and it also says this, and I, I don't want to mess this up, so let me get back there. Uh, Got to find it here. Sorry. It says, May my children and I be cut off from the blessings of God if we do not remain obedient and faithful towards God. That was Abraham's side of this. So God took the place where the man should have walked through the carcasses. God took that place and put a death curse on himself if he didn't follow through with what he'd promised. And now Abraham was saying, yes, I agree to that covenant. And they, he and his men went through circumcision. So that's the first one. And by the way, the Abrahamic covenant is one of the covenants that the Apostle Paul talked about all the time. And, and it was kind of weird because he was a strong Jew. He was a Pharisee. He knew the traditions. And usually they would lean on the Mosaic Law, which I'll get to next. But he instead focused on the Abrahamic covenant. Why? Because that's what Jesus did. All right? And again, I'll talk about that in just a minute. So the third covenant, the Mosaic covenant. Most of you remember this. All right, God didn't have a people yet. Remember, the Abrahamic covenant was with Abraham. This covenant, the Mosaic covenant, was with the nation. All right, a little bit different. Even though Moses was the one that went up the mountain and he got the Ten Commandments, all right? And then he came back down and he delivered them to the people. Even though that happened, it was still for all the people. God was saying, you are my chosen people. The church today is God's chosen people. Similar to uh, the Hebrew people in the Bible, God told Moses, he said, look, I want you to go in there, you talk to the Pharaoh, and I want you to deliver my people. They've been in bondage 400 years. And remember, these were, these were Abraham's ancestors. All right? Now it's kind of a different thing, though, because they're in bondage. 
Abraham was free to roam. He was nomadic. Not so with the Hebrew people. They were in bondage to Egypt. They were building those giant pyramids that we see today. Yeah, Israel power right there, pretty much. For 400 years, that's what they did. If you read the Old Testament, you'll see what I'm talking about. And, of course, where do you find that but the book of Exodus. Thank you. Somebody knew it. Because they exited Egypt. So Moses comes in. He does his part finally. And he takes the people out. And then we have the parting of the sea. I'm going through a lot. I'm just trying to get to the covenant part of it. But i got to build it up a little bit. right? So the Red Sea's parted. All the people go through. The chariots are coming fast on their heels. They want to kill them because Pharaoh changed his mind again, like the 10th time, right? And, of course, God collapses the water back on them, and they all get killed. Whoops. I guess that wasn't such a good idea. So God freed his people with Moses' help leading them They're out in the Sinai Desert, and the Bible says they were there 40 years. But what I want you to get is the covenant that God cut with them was conditional. Say that again. Conditional. All right. That means that they had a part. And if you remember, when God came down, or excuse me, when Moses came down after God wrote the Ten Commands with his little finger, that ought to tell you something. If you can dig out rock with your finger... (laughs) Why don't you guys try that sometime? Let me know how that works out. But God was able to do it. He came down. They looked at it, and they went, (gasps) What happened? Anybody remember the Ten Commands? What happened? He came down while he was up there. They're down there doing what? They're melting their gold down so they can build their own little god made in the form or image of a calf. (laughs) And God didn't smite them. He probably, well, he was pretty angry. (laughs) So was Moses. Moses is like, really? I wasn't up there that long. And what did he do? He broke them. Now, I don't think he was supposed to do that because then he had to get more. But the point is, and and in the Bible, uh, we call it the Ten Commandments today, but it was also known as the Ten Statements and even the Ten Words in the original language, all right? So we made it a little more convenient for us to call them the Ten Commandments, which is what I'll call them today. Basically, what the Ten Commandments said was, If you will follow these, God was saying to his people, then I will bless you. But if you don't, the result is going to be curses on your house, on you and your house. Even to the fourth generation, which is way out. These people really had to think about this. Moses came down again with the new set of commands. And this time, the people were ready. And they 
did burnt offerings. They offered sacrifices to God. They worshipped him and said in, a, in agreement, okay, we'll do this. The Mosaic Covenant, the Ten Commands were a part of that. How did that work, by the way? Now, in the Bible, it's called the law. How did that work? Did, did they succeed? No. Now, listen, Jewish people, they are extreme. They love the Lord. Their Hebrew God. They love Him, the Heavenly Father. But they still mess up. You see, there's a seed in all of us. And it's hard to control. And often, we do things that we don't even want to do. We sin against our neighbor. We sin against God. And you know, that was the two things that those Ten Commands represented. In fact, Jesus narrowed it down in the New Testament when he, he said two things I want you to remember. What was the first? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and body. The second is, is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said this sums up all Ten Commands. He just capitalized on it. If you love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and body, and you love your neighbor like yourself, you are holding up the Ten Commands. That's pretty cool, huh? Jesus was very wise. Finally, there was the Davidic Covenant. I keep missing my cues here. If I could back up for a moment, Saul was the first king of Israel. You have to understand that the book of Judges is, is all about leaders that God put in place to lead the people of Israel, but he was their king. Now the people were belly aching. I don't want to have to do this. I want a king like the Assyrians have. We want a real king, a man king. And on and on they went. And God finally heard enough of it, and he said, all right, if I'm not good enough for you, you pick your own king, whatever. And it's interesting that they went after the guy who was head and shoulders above everybody else, handsome, and everybody liked him. He was charismatic. That's what we would call him today. Charismatic. <laughs> That's who they chose. Now, I don't know if this happens today, but I'm thinking it might. That we go after the better looking people. It's not very often that you have an ugly president, and I'm not going to name any. I'm just saying, it doesn't happen. People always look on the outside. And God knew that. So they picked this guy, and, and of course it wasn't long that he started doing, saying, saying the wrong thing, doing the wrong things. He was messing up royal. And God finally said, you guys really need a real king. You know what? I've got somebody that I'd like to put in there. So he, he says this to the prophet Samuel. He says, Samuel, 
I want you to go to the house of Jesse, and I want you to pick the man that I want you to anoint for king. Now, here's something else I just learned. Saul wasn't anointed king. When Samuel anointed him, he anointed him prince. I didn't know that. That's pretty cool, isn't it? There's something maybe you didn't know already. Because that wasn't God's choice. So when he went through the methods, he only anointed him as a prince, not a king. So Samuel goes to Jesse's house, and by the way, he had to pass by Saul, so he was being real sneaky there because he knew if Saul found out he was going to anoint the next king that it could mean his carcass would be on the line, right? You get what I'm saying? He gets to Jesse's house and he says, hey, bring your boys out. And Jesse lines them all up. And, oh, they're good-looking boys. Lord, is it him? Nope. Is it him? Nope. Is it him? Nope. Is it him? Nope. And he gets to the end of the line and he goes, hey, you said come here. And the Lord speaks to him and says, hey, there's another one. So he, he asked Jesse, do you have another kid? Oh, yeah. Yeah, but he's out tending to the sheep. He was a sheep herder. <laughs> Probably smelled like sheep. But you know, he learned a lot out there. Right? He had to kill the bear and a lion to protect him. He understood what it was, what it was like to be, if you will, a pastor. To keep his people safe. He understood that. And he would do whatever it took. To make sure that happens. So they go out and they bring little David back. Now here's the thing. David wasn't all that handsome. He was kind of rugged looking. You know. He had pretty eyes I guess. Some think he might have had red hair. Any red heads in here? No? Alright. Well anyway. They get David in the house. And God says this is it. Samuel's going, but Lord. He's a little runt. And God said, that's my choice. And I already alluded to this, but God said, you know, man looks at the outside. When they pick a king, I look on the inside. I look at the heart. What is that person like on the inside? What makes them tick? That's why I picked David. Because he will represent me. In fact, in the book of Acts, it actually says, David was a man after God's own heart. Pretty cool. The bigger issue with this whole thing was the people said, we don't want God as our king anymore. We want our own. Now, I don't know about you, but I, would tr I try not to tick God off. Maybe you're different. Maybe you're always poking at him. You know, like, don't poke the bear. Don't poke God. Look at the Old Testament. You see what he did to some, you see the flood for crying out loud. When, he, when you poke him too long, bad things start happening. He loves his people. He loves his, those he's created in his image, but we can go too far. <laughs> right? Are you still with me, or have I uh, overdrawn this thing? I was a little nervous when I did it, because it's like, man, this is a lot of stuff to fit into 30 minutes. God is not the, the guy you want to tick off. But God picked David, a boy, a sheep herder. 
because that was his choice, a man after his own heart. And Samuel anointed him king that day. Now, he didn't become king for quite a while, all right? He was only 17-ish when uh, Samuel anointed him. But he didn't get the role, the title, until he was around 30. So you can do the math. But once he got the title, once Saul had died off, God blessed him and he blessed the Israelites, just like he said he would. Now, we catch up with King David in 2 Samuel 7, and the reason I'm going here is I want you to see this. He was upset because he realized he was living in the cedar palace, and God and the, the Ark of the Covenant and some of the other artifacts that they had to represent God, they were in a tent. It'd be like having your, your mother-in-law and father-in-law sleep in the tent while you sleep in your big house. Wouldn't be right. Or if the president came to see you, you would say, hey, there's a tent out there for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure, that's going to happen. Now, does God need a tent? First of all, get that part. You think God was up in heaven going, I can't believe they're making me sleep in a tent. No. It was representative of his presence. He wanted his people to know, I'm with you. Everywhere you go, I'm with you. This is a reminder of that. So David, in his, in his heart and in his head, and I think he, was, he, was, he had the right idea, all right? He wanted to build something for God that would represent God better. And God had a different plan. The, the prophet Nathan now, the prophet Nathan said to David, he said, look, he said, you go ahead, you do whatever's on your heart, God's going to bless that. And David said, cool. Well then, Nathan went home, and that night he had something called a dream. And that dream shipwrecked everything he said to David. He said, I don't want David building my temple. And he went into some detail. I'm going to read this. Uh, I'm not putting it up behind me, but this is 2 Samuel 7, 8 to 16. And what, what we're going to read here is that the, the prophet had to backpedal. Do prophets ever mess up? Sometimes we don't get it right. Right? Well, he certainly did, because he already told David, he said, King, you go ahead, you do that. That sounds like a great plan. You'll have God's blessing. But then Nathan gets home and God says, uh-uh. So let me read this. Verse 8, 2 Samuel 7. Now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock. I appointed you ruler over my people Israel. I've been with you wherever you have gone, and I have cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest men on earth, I will provide a place for my people Israel and will plant them so they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore as they did at the beginning and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people Israel. I will also give you rest from all your enemies. Now starts the covenant part. In verse 11, the Lord declares to you, that the Lord himself will establish a house 
for you. This is the first part of it. When your days are over, he says to David, and you rest with your ancestors, in other words, when you die, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, who will come from your own body, and I will establish his kingdom. And then in verse 13, he is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Now, this is the second part. All right? First part had to do with David. Second part is having to do with his son, Solomon. I will be his father, verse 14 says, and he will be my son. How do we know that this isn't talking future tense to Jesus right here? When he does wrong, (laughs) did God do wrong? Did Jesus do wrong? All right, so we know this isn't Jesus, this is Solomon. I'll be his father, he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with a rod wielded by my human beings with floggings inflicted by human hands. So certainly, this did not happen to Jesus. He was never flogged for doing wrong. He was flogged, but for the wrong reasons. He was flogged for doing right. And then verse 15, but my love will never be taken away from him as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from you before. And now verse 16, this is the important part. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. So this is the third part, the final part, is that God said to David, I am going to build a kingdom through you, and it's going to last forever. When Matthew starts in chapter 1 of of his book, of his gospel, he goes into the lineage of Jesus Christ, and he goes back to, guess who? David. Jesus was an heir through the line of David. Hallelujah. God always follows through with what what he covenants to do. And and I, I love this. Now realize the Davidic covenant was unconditional. The rest of them were conditional. This one, David could screw up. He did. But God was still going to make sure this thing happened. All right, do you get that? He said he would, of course, discipline them if they did things wrong, Solomon. And he did. As I understand it, he was actually a pretty mean king. He had his moments where he was a good king, but he had his moments when he wasn't. He loaded the people up with taxes so that he could pay for his palace, his gardens, and the temple. You can go back and read all that later. The Davidic covenant. If you remember, going back to when David was first anointed, The prophet Isaiah said this, and I'll put this up behind me. Isaiah 11, 1 through 3. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding. The spirit of counsel and of might. The spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. Who's this talking about? Jesus. Jesus. And if you go on in uh, Isaiah 11, you'll see he's talking about some pretty major things happening. 
The prophet Isaiah predicted that through the line of David that a branch would grow. He was identifying Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, a.k.a. the Son of God. His kingdom is going to last forever. And that's good news to us. So why did I bring all this up? Because as we saw in the Old Testament covenants, God was always faithful. He made sure that even if the people weren't, and they weren't quite often, the only time those covenants came to an end was when the people stopped keeping them. But God never stopped keeping his end of the bargain. Are you still with me? There's one final covenant. We just read a little bit about that. We find it in the New Testament. So we go from the Old Testament and the four uh, covenants that we just read about into the New Covenant, which was established by the one, the only, Son of God, Jesus Christ. He established the New Covenant. The beauty of this covenant is it too is unconditional. Now, I say that there are things that you and I need to do if we participate with it. We're supposed to pick up our cross and follow him, meaning Jesus. We're supposed to love our neighbor as ourself and love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and body, as Jesus said. But as far as the actual covenant cutting, we had no part in that. Jesus took the whole thing on himself. He carried it out himself. Jesus became the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He was sacrificed for the propitiation of our sins. You still with me? He cut covenant with God so that we wouldn't have to. But his covenant doesn't come to an end because he was the perfect sacrifice, the perfect offering, sinless. His covenant lasts forever and ever and ever. And those who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Hallelujah. I think that's pretty good news. Now, some believe the, the most, I'm going to say this, I've got to be careful how I say this. The Jewish people feel like the Mosaic covenant was eternal. But if you really look at the Bible, especially the New Testament, it was not. All right? Here's one of the, the proof texts Hebrews 8 6 says this. But in fact, the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs, meaning the Mosaic Covenant, as the covenant of which he is mediator, is superior to the old one. Since the new covenant is established on what? Better promises. Jesus, and listen, Jesus didn't come to abolish the old covenant. He built upon them. He fulfilled them. He fulfilled the law. Why? To show that it was always good, 
Man's the one that was corrupt, <laughs> thanks to our initial ancestors. God made a way where there was no other way. Now Jesus comes in. He walks down the middle with his own body. He literally took the death curse upon himself so that you and I would have life and life in abundance. I think that's pretty good. That's good news. And today, we are God's chosen people, similar to the Israelites, the Hebrew people. Now you and I are. I talked about this last week in 2 Peter. We are a royal priesthood, his chosen people, after we have accepted what Jesus did for us. So my question to everyone here, to you online, have you covenanted with God yet? And you know, it's a little different for the modern church. We don't have to cut ourselves. What represents the cutting or the covenant making on our part is water baptism. What does it say? It says when you go down, you, it's like the old man dying, right? You die to self, and when you come back out, you're the new man. And, and I think that's what uh, this verse says. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. So this is what we do when we say yes to Jesus, when we get water baptized. We're saying to the world, from this day on, I will serve him. And him alone. And that's what God expects from each of us. So as I begin to close today, I wanted to answer the first question that I began with. Does God remember his covenant? How many would say yes? Absolutely he does. He hears your prayers. He meets your needs. Now, I'm not going to get into that this week, but sometimes, sometimes he says yes, sometimes he says no, sometimes he says maybe that's all up to him. He knows what's best for us. But as we saw through each of these covenants, God never let his end of the bargain down. His people did, but he didn't. And isn't that true today? Even for Christians, right? Would you stand with me? Even for Christians, if you're at home, stand up. You probably need some blood flowing to your extremities God has come up with a way for us to spend forever with him and that's through the new covenant through the blood of Christ Jesus died for one purpose and one purpose alone and that was to become the sacrifice for us so that we wouldn't have to be sacrificed he took our place. He met the requirements of the law through his shed blood when he became that lamb who was slain. Otherwise, you and I'd never be able to get to God. We wouldn't be able to go to heaven when this body gives out. But God loves his people. That's proven, right? 
We, we looked at four covenants in the Old Testament and then the new one. In each one, it shows that God loves his people. And he loves me and he loves you and, and he wants a relationship with us. That's the other part I didn't really get into today. He spent time with his people. Here he is up there running the universe and he takes the time to be with his people. What God does that? What God takes the place of his, his vassals, his, his servants? Only one. <laughs> Only one. And because of that, we can be called chosen and get the blessing of God on ourselves, on our family, on our kids to come. As I, as I see my little granddaughter running around, I'm reminded of how blessed I am. And I'm sure many of you are in the same place. God wants all of us to be with Him forever. But we have to do our part. We have to say yes to Jesus, become water baptized, this is important, and cut that covenant with Him, saying to the world, for the rest of the days I have left, I will honor Him with my life. All that I am, all that I have, it's yours. Would you bow your heads? If you'd like to cut covenant with God, if you've never done that, if you've never said yes to Jesus, I want to give you an opportunity to do that this morning. And verbally, the Bible says that you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that he died for your sins, you will be saved. I believe that if you will do that, that you will be grafted in to the vine of Jesus, you will become one of God's chosen people and the rest of your life is going to be beautiful and, and your eternal life is going to be, I don't even know what that's going to be like because nobody's been there yet. We have a little glimpse of it in Revelation, but other than that, and that's pretty cool if you read that part. So if you're here today and you say, I need Jesus, I, I need to, maybe you need to recut covenant with him because you, like the Israelites, did some stupid things and, and you have been running from God without anybody looking around and, and there's just a handful in here today but I just want to make sure everybody's good. Is there anybody here today who would raise your hand and say, yep, I need prayer. Pray with me, Pastor. I, I, yep, yep. Anybody else? Thank you. All right, we'll, we'll pray with you but if you're out there and I believe there are probably many out there who are saying, yeah, <laughs> I haven't been living the way that I should. I want to pray with you as well. And I also want to pray for those of you who need Jesus for the first time, who you've never said yes to him. Let this be the day. May the 24th, 2020, let this be the day that you confess your sins to Jesus, that you say, I want to honor that new covenant that you established. I want to be one of your chosen, Lord. And if that's you, I want to pray with you as well. So let's pray these two prayers. First, for those who 
have been like the Israelites who kind of backslid and that you just want to come back. I want to pray with you first. So everybody say this with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for the new covenant. The covenant ensured through the blood of Jesus, your precious son. Lord, I ask right now, forgive me of turning my back on you Help me to get back on the right path. I covenant with you again today. I want to live with you forever. On this side of heaven, help me to have that relationship with you. And Lord, I can't wait till you come back. And Lord, now this is the other part. Lord, Forgive me of my sins. Make me a new person. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for me to make me a new person. I accept that. I commit to that covenant. In Jesus' name. Now help me to live for you to have a relationship with you. Thank you for that new life, that abundant life. I pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. That was a little longer than normal. God loves the daylights out of his people. Let's, uh, let's purpose in our hearts to remember that the Old Testament shouldn't just be ignored. Let's, let's go back and dust off some of the older books and realize the beauty. Forty authors, 66 books. And I want to tell you something. They are all harmonizing. They all say the same thing. We serve a God who authored that book in its entirety. And we can believe it historically, theologically. It came from Him. And we ought to get to know it because when you get to know God's Word, you get to know Him. Father, again, we thank You for this time together. We pray even before next week, Lord, that you would bless the service as we come back together on Pentecost Sunday where I'm certain I'm going to end up talking about the Holy Spirit, your spirit. Lord, I pray right now for everybody that's here, those who are watching online, God, that you would bless us. God, help us to get a glimpse of who you are and how much you love us. Keep us on that straight and narrow path for Jesus said, wide is the gate that leads to destruction, but narrow is the gate. I said that wrong. Wide is the path that leads to destruction. Narrow is the gate that leads to eternal life. That means that not everybody's going to go to heaven, but I want you to be there. So Lord, get us there, we pray in Jesus' name. We love you. Bless Pastor Roger, Lord. Uh, we pray for a good report for him. 
And uh, again, uh, we just commit he and Mary and his family into your hands. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have a great week.